Uh, hopefully, obviously, we're going to be talking about what Easter is really all about. But before we do that, there are a couple things that I want to let you know just about uh, the greater uh, church world. There are other churches than just Velocity. I know you guys know that. Uh, there's churches around the globe. Um, and so there's two things. One is uh, a bad thing, and the other is a good thing. Uh, so the bad thing first is this morning, uh, I just found out actually a few minutes before service, in Sri Lanka, uh, there were bombings. There were eight different bombings, and uh, this was done during Easter services at a few churches, at some hotels. Um, and so I think right now the count is that 207 uh, people lost their lives uh, during those attacks, uh, and that 400, 450 are injured through that. Um, you know, it's one of those moments, it's like, that's, <laughs> is, you know, this is, the, this is kind of the broken world that we live in, unfortunately. And I don't know any details beyond what I just shared with you about that, but you may be seeing that a little bit later on uh, today. But here in a second, we're going to pray uh, for uh, the believers in Sri Lanka and what's happening there and, and around, the, around the globe. Um, the other thing is uh, that um, this morning... A brand new church is starting on the south side that Velocity has helped to plant. Um, as a church, yeah. um, as a church family, since our beginning, we've been committed to church planting, starting brand new churches so that people who don't go to church might may, don't like church might find a church that they would want to be a part of. And so, on the south side in Midlothian. Uh, Jacob's Well Community Church is starting. I've been able to uh, be privileged to be on the leadership team uh, for that and will be for the next couple years as that church uh, starts brand new and launches. And so there are people in that community that have given up on church, uh, that don't know Jesus, that are going to be hearing uh, the Easter message maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time this morning too. And, and we're talking about hope. We're finishing up this series on hope. And uh, there's, there's no greater picture of the darkness that we face uh, than, than hearing what, what has happened in Sri Lanka uh, and the joy and the light that breaks forth even in the midst of the darkness when we think about the opportunities that we still have to share Jesus with people that, that need, to, need to hear about him. And so I just want to pray about both of those things uh, this morning before we jump into the message. God, um, I don't have the answers. We don't have the answers we don't know why these things happen sometimes. I mean, we, we get it. We understand that, um, uh, that people are broken, uh, that sin exists in this world, but it doesn't make it any less painful, uh, any less dark or sorrowful. God, we lift up um, the country of Sri Lanka. Uh, we lift up the believers in Sri Lanka. We, we lift up those who uh, committed these atrocities, and we ask that uh, as you can do the impossible, that you would bring healing through this, uh, that you would uh, bring a renewed um, desire to, to know who you are through this. God, we, we ask that uh, the pain uh, that so many people are going to be feeling uh, through this across the world, um, that you would find ways to bring peace, your comfort, to make your Holy Spirit known and felt as the church responds to this with love and grace and mercy. God, we lift up Jacob's Well Community Church as they had their first launch Sunday this morning at Easter, and we know that there are going to be people there checking them out for the first time, looking for a place that they can call their church home, looking for a community of believers that will encourage them, uh, that will walk alongside of them uh, through life as they pursue and seek you. God, we just ask that... Um, 
that this is, this is a great beginning for them, that you would bless them, that you would watch over them as a brand new church. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but Easter for me, I had a little bit of a different experience than kind of the general popularized version of Easter. Like we didn't do the Easter egg hunts. Anybody else like have a, like kind of that experience? So we didn't, no, just me, okay, yeah, a couple, a couple of us, we didn't really do the Easter egg hunts, but every once in a while, my parents would get us an Easter basket, and we would, we'd find around the house, but one year, I'll never forget, my parents said, hey, we did something a little bit different this year, so we, we got you an Easter gift, and so it's somewhere in the house, and you've got to go find it, and so I looked everywhere, I was excited, I was a kid, it's like, this is cool, this is kind of a different thing, so I go into the laundry room, and in the laundry room, I find an outdoor basketball, and I was stoked. I mean, I, I was incredibly excited. You might have thought that this was pretty strange, but I loved basketball. Got a brand new basketball. I thought this was the best thing in the world. I was just hanging out with it, want, you know, wanting to take it out of the package and dribble it and that, and that kind of thing. And uh, um, after a couple beats, my parents looked and said, well, you know, because I think they were wondering, man, he's way too excited about a basketball. And, and they said, well, and we got you a basket too. Now, in this moment, you guys are probably smart enough to know what they meant when they said that. <clears throat> so they meant that they had also hidden an Easter basket somewhere in the house for me to find. I thought, man, my parents are clever. They got me a basket ball and a basket to throw the ball through, to shoot the ball in. And so I started running to the outside door, and they say, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, you have an Easter basket somewhere in the house. And I said, oh, that, that's cool. Like, it was one of those things I didn't even know that I had this opportunity to be disappointed because my parents were being really generous to me. And yet I was kind of like, I was a little bit dejected. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I mean, I'm always excited about candy and that kind of thing. Uh, and I was glad for the Easter basket, but it was a little bit of a disappointment. And also, I, I just need to get something off of my chest um, can we all just agree that Easter candy is the worst candy? Is, is that okay? And I, I want us to be objective about this um, and, and, and just kind of go through some, uh, there's some research that's been done on this, but Easter candy is the, is the worst candy. Uh, there was a 2019 Easter candy uh, survey done, and, and here's the top favorite candy for Easter. Reese's peanut butter chocolate eggs. Now, okay, right. So we're all in agreement. This makes total sense. 29 out of 50 states agree this is their top favorite candy. Here's the thing, though. A Reese's peanut butter egg is the same thing as a Reese's peanut butter cup. And we can argue about this after service if you like to. But it's the same thing. And here's my point, and this is why it proves my point. We hate Easter candy so much that we're going to take candy that we love and change its shape to convince us that that's an Easter candy, right? I mean, it's just a Reese's peanut butter. Okay. So here, here's the thing. All right. So 17% 17, 17 uh, prefer Cadbury eggs. Eh, eh. I'm kind of, eh. 16% uh, prefer jelly beans. I mean, jelly bellies are great. I mean, they're fantastic. But don't give me licorice. Like, I don't, I don't want those. Those are the worst. 10% prefer chocolate bunnies. I'll get back to those. I've got a problem with chocolate bunnies I'll share with you. Only 6% of people choose Peeps. Now, here, here's the thing. That number's way too high, by the way. 73% of people were, you know, just outright said, yeah, we hate peeps. 27% of people just lie uh, and, say, and say they like them. Now, here, here's how I know 
here's how I know that we live in a sinful and broken world. I found out Thursday night that this exists. Now, in case you can't read it in the back, it says Peeps Sweet Marshmallow International Delight Creamer that has never tasted so cute. That's the worst. And, and, and there are two states who said that Peeps were their favorite. That's two states too many. First was Tennessee. This, this yeah, wait, wait for it. Wait for it. The second, you guessed it, is Virginia. Yeah. So I'm completely rethinking everything I thought was good and right about Virginia, uh, my home state. Um, I'm rethinking everything, thinking about moving. Just kidding. Just kidding. Here's the thing about chocolate bunnies, though. I'll never forget the first time as a kid that I've been into a chocolate bunny. Because you see a chocolate bunny in your Easter basket. Generally speaking, it's the biggest thing that's there. And you think, oh, my goodness. I have a brick of chocolate in the shape of a bunny. This is going to be amazing. And the first bite that I took into a chocolate bunny just opened my eyes to how cruel and deceitful, <laughs> how cruel and deceitful big chocolate really is. And I've been into it and found that it was, it was hollow. And sure, the chocolate is waxy and cheap tasting, but man, I felt cheated out of that chocolate. But here's the, here's the thing. You know, we, we go through little moments like this throughout our lives. It starts in our childhood where we kind of find out or see, you know, what's behind the curtain. You know, the veil's kind of pulled back for us and our eyes are open to little small disappointments. And maybe it was a misunderstanding of which kind of basket my parents met or meant. Or, or maybe it's, you know, the fact that there's Peeps creamer in, in existence or maybe, you know, it's hollow chocolate bunnies. But these things can build up over time. These little disappointments can kind of chip, uh, chip away at our lives. And they can make us a little bit jaded in how we view the circumstances in which we find ourselves. The more disappointed we allow ourselves to be, the more we get chipped away from us. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a factor of choice and perspective here. So the more disappointed we allow ourselves to be, the more wishful our thinking becomes and the more hollow our life experience can seem. And we've all, we've all experienced this. I mean, we've all experienced things that we never dreamed would, were not part of our hopes and dreams as kids when we got older. I mean, none of us dreamed about, like, getting cancer at 41 or graduating college and not being able to find a job or being divorced twice by the time you're 45 or getting fired when you're 56 or your kids in prison. Like, these are all things, it's somewhere in that spectrum, we've had experiences like that where our hopes and dreams were wrapped up in, in maybe a great relationship, the perfect job, the dream home, a great car, and then little by little, some of those things have been chipped, chipped away from us, and now that dream doesn't feel quite so full, maybe it feels hollow and like it's missing something vital in your life. You used to have hope, but now you felt moments of hopelessness, and rather than looking forward to what you're hopeful for, you found yourself looking back occasionally and thinking more about how you wished things had turned out in the past. So these last three weeks, we've been talking about why hope continues to rise even 2,000 years after the death of Jesus Christ. And we've seen how the events in his last week leading up to his death, Jesus provides the hope that we need. Jesus uh, is the hope that is worth giving everything for, and that even when we think 
there is no hope. The goodness of God is worth trusting in in our lives. But the thing that makes all of this possible and makes hope a reasonable proposition in life is what we celebrate today. That's the resurrection. Here's what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. He says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Look, there are so many opportunities, so many different things that we have the opportunity to put our, our faith in. We have the choice to put our faith in. Luck, chaos, karma, fields of study, religious systems, oneself, theories of existence, philosophies of response to the human condition. But none of those things fill our need to have what we can't and won't be able to understand because we're human beings. But what we need to have sufficiently taken care of when it comes to the deepest desires of our heart and our soul and our mind. The only thing that would fill our life is the hope of the resurrection in Jesus. In fact, Paul, who was at one time in his life not only an unbeliever but an active persecutor of Christianity, says this about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The word useless he uses there is the same word as hollow that he uses earlier in that earlier passage in Colossians chapter 2. As much as following the teachings of Jesus will improve your life and that being a part of a family of believers will give you greater encouragement and serving, contributing to something greater than yourself will give you a greater sense of purpose in life, the resurrection is what makes any of it worthwhile and effective. See, the resurrection is the difference between wishful thinking and hopeful living. It's the line in the sand that was drawn for Jesus' followers then and now and for those to come. The resurrection ushers in our greatest joy, and it defeats our greatest sorrows. And I get that this is a bold statement to make, to rest everything on the resurrection of Jesus like Paul does. Because many of us have wondered at one time or another if the resurrection really is wishful thinking. And while I would suggest to you that if you were to explore and understand the mission and teaching of Jesus and the character and nature of God and the help and counsel that the Holy Spirit provides, that Christianity stands head and shoulders above any other faith system, there's an even greater reason to place faith in the hope of the resurrected Christ. And that's because of the hope and the expectation of good that it promises and produces. And so if you would, turn to Mark chapter 16 in your Bible or on your phone, and I want to show you what I mean. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? So the night before, after Sabbath, Saturday night, these women got, went out to buy spices uh, for, for Jesus. And this was not an embalming thing as much as a the body is decomposing, and so to help cover the smell, we're going to go three days after, because at this point, after three days, you're officially legally dead, 
and they were going to go use these spices, spices to cover the body, the decomposing body of Jesus to cover up, cover up the smell. And it's obvious that as they walk here and we know what's going on in their minds and the minds and hearts of the disciples in this time, that they're wishful, they're sorrowful, they're wishful that none of this had ever happened. But the only thing that they were hoping for in this moment is that they would run into someone that would help them roll away the stone that was covering up the tomb. But instead, this is what happens. Well, when they looked up in verse 4, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. It's one of, the, one of the reasons I think sometimes it's tough for us to hold on to the hope that the Holy Spirit is meant to produce within us as Christ followers, the hope that Jesus died and rose again for. One of the reasons I think it's so hard for us to hold on to it or maybe even decide to trust in that hope in our life is so often we look for Jesus where he isn't. We don't go to the place where he says he's going to be. So it was interesting about this angel and what he says to uh, these women as, as they've come to take care of Jesus' body is he simply repeats something Jesus has already told his disciples back in Mark chapter 14 and verses 27 through 28. Jesus told them, I will strike, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. But that's not where they're looking for them, for him. The disciples are hiding out in fear. This small group of women is going to the tomb in sorrow to take care of Jesus' dead, decomposing body, but Jesus isn't there. Instead, he's right where he said he would be. And that's the greatest assurance of hope that we have through the resurrection, is that Jesus is always right where he says he's going to be. That's the level of confidence the resurrection gives us. No matter what disappointment or what hollowness or hopelessness we may feel, there's an answer to all of that in the risen Christ. Jesus became like one of us, lived like one of us, knows our pain, our weakness, our doubts and fears, met our sin on the cross, met his disciples in Galilee after resurrection. He appeared to over 500 people in his resurrected body. And now Jesus is right where he says he would be, preparing a place for anyone willing to accept him as Lord to be with him for all eternity. Trust me, I know that it takes faith and I understand that some of you this morning either have these or know somebody who has them. You have objections or you have questions or you have doubts about this. And I understand and I'd be surprised if any of them aren't things that I haven't wrestled with at some point in my faith or maybe continue to wrestle with today. And, and I just want to, there's always an open, open invitation, an open door for me to listen to what those objections and questions are. And if you want me to give you an answer as to why I place my faith in Jesus, I'd love to share that with you uh, sometime. So that's just, that's just always, always there. But check out, check out how Mark closes out this section in, in verse 8. In verse 8, after the, after the angel says this to the women, where Jesus is and where they should be looking for him, here's the reaction. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. 
And I, and I get that there are more verses proceed, proceeding after this, this section in, in, in the book, book of Mark, but it's very clear that he makes a very abrupt end to this section of the story, kind of like how he abruptly begins his gospel. And here's why I think he does this. This is the point I believe he's trying to make. Even then, after seeing the empty tomb, being talked to by the angel, they are seized by fear and wonder at the thought that they might see Jesus again. Because this is too much to hope. This does not happen. There's no way this could possibly be the case. They don't stop to talk to anyone until they get to the apostles. The word afraid here means they're, they're, they're put to flight. They're sprinting to get to the apostles to tell them what just happened here. This was almost too much to bear for him, the hope that Jesus had done the impossible. Even then, as they see the empty tomb, as they're talked to by the angels, even then, it wasn't that they simply believed that Jesus had risen. The apostles don't even believe when the women go back and tell him. What changes everything is that they see the risen Christ. Think about how things change after Jesus' followers see Jesus back from the dead. The spread of Christianity comes in the face of religious and political persecution. That's how we get to where we are today, is that Christianity thrived when it was actively persecuted. The willingness of the apostles to sacrifice their lives came about not because of what they believed about Jesus, but because of what they saw. And that changed everything. They went from hiding in fear to being bold and sharing their faith, and they were all willing to die for it because they saw Jesus. The continuity and consistency of the, of the message of the Bible among so many different authors, so many different life experiences that, that are not flattering by any stretch of the imagination, by the way. You would think that the followers of Jesus would make themselves look a little bit better than, oh, yeah, we abandoned him. The, the, you know, the singular, they all point to a singular reason for why their imperfect lives were changed, and they all agree that it's because of the resurrected Christ. The hope that continues to rise to the church 2,000 plus years removed from when Jesus was seen and experienced life after death. Like, that's why hope continues to rise because of what people saw and experienced and knew to be true because of the resurrection of Jesus. The same cowardly men who had run and hidden when Jesus was arrested and those same dejected women who had come to embalm Jesus' dead body started pouring into the streets of Jerusalem, saying to the very people who had witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus, you killed him, but God raised him, and he's alive. We've seen him. We're not scared anymore. Now, now that we've seen the risen Christ, we believe. Now our emptiness has been filled, and now we have an unshakable hope. And after the first ever gospel message about the resurrected Christ, thousands of people in Jerusalem repented and put their faith in Jesus as the risen Savior because of what they saw and because of what they experienced among people who had seen and lived with the risen Christ. The most unique message in history is still being shared, believed in, and experienced because Jesus really lived, he really died, and he really rose from the dead. He enabled the emptiness of our sin to be filled with God's Holy Spirit so that not only can we be reunited with him where he prepares a place for us in heaven, but also that we can be, so that we can be in his continual presence now. 
hope from Jesus is always rising because he resurrects us from the emptiness that is left by sin. It's a living hope that changes lives in the here and now. It changed the lives of Jesus' closest followers. One of them, Peter, wrote this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. See, it may seem like Jesus' resurrection was the end of what he came to accomplish, but instead it was the beginning. It was the beginning of the kingdom of God that he came to usher in into our lives. The hope that Jesus came to bring dawned at the resurrection, but the light he brought will never set. Our faith doesn't leave us hollow because we're filled with the indwelling presence of God through his Holy Spirit. And because of that, hope will always supply our needs. Hope will always survive. Because of Jesus, hope is always rising in and through.